we continue to study of Hezekiah, and right now what we're developing is, if you will, the big picture of this story. And I had said at the very beginning we started to study, I don't know that I've ever gone through the life of this man. And again, what we're doing right now is trying to give you the big picture. We're going to see some more specifics coming up to which is the, the pinnacle. It's like the day. Matter of fact, even in this text, um, Hezekiah uses the phrase, there's a day of trouble that's coming. So this life is going towards this, this mark. And what we've been trying to show you is the, the big picture of the strategies, not necessarily the strategies, but the things that God has been doing in Hezekiah and, and the leadership that he took for the nation of Israel. We saw the big picture of, of what he did to start it by cleansing the temple. We're going to see more detail of that later, a little later on. And we, we walked you through of the things that he had to break down and the things that he had to build up to get to this point. And uh, we're seeing the heart of this man is what we're seeing. And there's an enemy, and every time you purpose to do right, there's going to be an enemy. And this king of Assyria, Sennacherib, has taken such boldness to send a letter, and by the way, we'll see down the road when we look at Second Chronicles, that it was not just one letter that was sent. It actually uses the word letters, plural. It's almost like over and over again, he is trying to get inside of the mind of the king. And as he is doing this, he has now received word back because neither king actually met face to face, but rather sent their own men to greet and to give the words. So king of Syria sends his men and give this mockery in detail of God, of the people of Israel, the God of Israel, and, and says, listen, you can't trust in, in God. You can't trust in any God because I'll destroy, as I have, every other nation who believed in a God or gods. And who do you think you are, Israel, that you were, are going to be able to withstand? I want you to remember, at this point, he has already come down and has destroyed so many walls and cities and has been busting through and has now ca uh, captured everyone except for Jerusalem. This is it. And we're going to be using the word remnant because that's who is left. And in this prayer even, he as he talks excuse me, to, to Isaiah, he says, lift up prayer for the remnant that is left. And so, so this, this whole big picture that we're trying to show you is absolute despair for a small nation that has, been, that has gone to a, a point where there's only a few left. And so we're going to see what, what Hezekiah does in this text. What now has taken place is Hezekiah has received word about this detailed letter, the mockery of God, the, the, the mockery of, of the choices that Israel has made. And so he's saying, you're, you're dead. If you don't join me, if you don't come with me, because if you join me, I'm going to take you to my land because I'm possessing Jerusalem. And uh, folks, if, you know, what I'm going to try to show you in the big picture right now is if there is a situation that is given uh, to, to show the future prophetically of Israel, right here is your text. We're going to be showing you actual terms that Hezekiah gives to Isaiah to say, this is it, prophetically for Israel. So what we're trying to show you is the prophetic side, but also the practical side of the lessons of Hezekiah. 
So this letter has come. And what we see in verse 1 is that Hezekiah, as soon as he hears this, he humbles himself. And he begins to take the clothing that is on him and also tells the others that, that as they go, that they are to rend their clothes. They, he went and covered himself with sackcloth, and oftentimes ashes would also be placed upon their heads. They would just take dirt and everything and just throw it upon themselves out of absolute grief. And then it says that he personally went to the house of the Lord. And we can see how he also goes to uh, those who were leaders, the elders, priests, and they also were to be covered with sackcloth as they went to the prophet Isaiah. And what you're learning is Isaiah was a contemporary, lived at the same time period with Hezekiah, as well as other, uh, others, Ahaz and others. Uh, he was, was part of their lives. And I'm sure how refreshing it was for the prophet Isaiah to finally see somebody serious for God. They really wanted to do the right thing. And this had to be refreshing. And it wasn't as though Isaiah didn't know that this was coming. And it wasn't as though Isaiah uh, didn't see the hand of God in all of this. He most certainly did. But there had to be a message come from him to help. And as he says, don't be afraid. Be not afraid. God is going to be there. So today's message, I want to take from this text. And you'll also see almost word for word the same thing found in 2 Kings and chapter number 19, almost word for word as we go through. But I wanted to go to the Isaiah text to show you how the prophets were tied right together with the times of the kings. So that you can see these messengers were the ones that God would, had raised up for prophetic reasons for the nation of Israel. And God, he tells us in Hebrews chapter number 1, now doesn't, as he did in the Old Testament, speak through the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to you and I by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom he made the worlds, etc. And that's why our Lord Jesus Christ is prophet, priest, and king. And he is the one who was our messenger to give us what we need. And he uses that same phrase over and over, be not afraid. There are times of trouble that comes, come into our lives. There are days of trouble that we know it's almost like you can see it coming. And there are times if we do not prepare our hearts, and, and I use the word prepared on purpose because through the next weeks, I know we have the missions conference that week, so we'll, we'll be off that week, of course. But um, I'm, I'm very excited about some of the things that we're going to be studying as we uh, go back and see the details, not just the big picture, but the details of how God prepared Israel, Israel through the life of Hezekiah. And this preparation was for a day, a specific time period. He had to prepare them. Now, this preparation took place. The very first thing that he did that we see in verse number one is that he turned to God when the bad news came. You turn to God when the bad news comes. Does anybody not know at some point in our life negative things are going to be coming our way? Does anybody not think and realize we are going to have loved ones that tragically are going to be hurt. We're going to hear the word cancers. We're going to have all of these negative. Our spouse may pass away. Yesterday at uh, John and Amy's wedding here, uh, one of his, uh, his grandfather, I was talking to him, and a flower was given to him in remembrance of, of his wife, whose name was Margaret. And when he received that flower, um, he just started crying. You know, it's just memory lane. 
And after the service, I had a chance to talk with him. And he said, 53 years we were, we were married. And uh, absolutely loved his wife. And, you know, he said, I came home and unexpectedly found her passed away. I walked into the house and found her this way. I mean, I can't, you know what I mean? I can't reason that in my mind to think, I just said goodbye, I love you, kiss, and then walked away, and then and you come back and they're already gone. How do we, how do we prepare for trouble? How do, how do we get through troubles? I mean, I'm looking around, and I know you. I mean, I'm looking around at so many, and the people that I have talked to, and I know these things that have come on your lives. And in each row, I could talk about the different areas that you, and you've talked to me, and I've prayed with you, and we've been interceding for each other about these issues. And they're real. Troubles don't go away always. We like to think we're going to pray and everything is just going to go away. Uh-uh, circumstances are real. This was tangible for this man. He knew. He knows the news. People are dying, the horrible things. So what he did was he turned to God in times of trouble. Now, we can turn to doctors. Nothing wrong with that. We can think medicine can help, and it absolutely can and there is no way am I ever going to mock the skills and the abilities that doctors have to be able to help people. But I know one thing. As I go to the hospital right before the surgery, and I talk to the person ready to go underneath the knife, there is oft times a pray for me. Yeah, the doctor is getting ready to try to help me, but there is still a fear because I'm going through this. It's me this time. It's not somebody else or a family member or somebody else I've been hearing about prayer requests for. This is my turn to be going through this. And though I walk, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? And we have a real confidence with what the skills that doctors can have to help us. That folks, there are times that the doctor is going to look and say, Nothing we can do. I can't help. They are not God. They are limited. They are man. But we are to, going to the one who is not limited. That we are praying. Not always that the trouble will go away, but Lord, that you will help me through the trouble that we're going through. There has to be a reference of turning to God in days or times of trouble. Let's look at a couple of psalms together. Would you turn with me to the, probably one of the most familiar ones with the word trouble that many of you could quote. Psalm 46 and verse 1. Psalm 46 verse 1. And if you don't have this one memorized, do memorize it. I have probably quoted this at the bedside of so many people um, because it is a source of help and strength. God is our refuge. Secondly, God is our strength. So God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He says in Hebrews, I will never leave thee, 
nor forsake thee. There is not a situation that you are in, whether it's financial, whether it is physical, whether it's burden for your family members, whatever burden, trouble that you are going through, God is not going to separate himself from you when you are going through the trouble. His presence is there. His presence is there to comfort you. Jesus said it this way as he was teaching the people. Now listen, I'm going to be leaving you. And you stop and say, wait a minute, I thought you said he wasn't going to leave us. Let's think about what he's about ready to tell us. It is more expedient for you that I leave. Talking about the death, resurrection, and ascension to go back up into heaven. Because if I don't go, then the Holy Spirit, who is called the Comforter in John 14, he won't come. So I have to leave so the Comforter will come and live and abide in you continually, always, 24-7. So the Spirit of God, who is now inside of us, is the source of strength, he is the source of comfort, and he is the one that runs to our aid to help us right inside at the moment that you need it. When I talk about things like this, it is, it is amazing how many times people will come up and say, you know, you had this message on comfort, and guess what happened Monday morning? Or guess what situation I was thrown in? Didn't see it coming. And boy, preacher, just because you reminded me that God is there, instead of me thinking, oh no, what am I going to do now? The response is, God, you told me I will never leave thee, I will never forsake thee, that you are with me and you are that very present help in time of trouble. And that's exactly what this source of strength needs to be. And that's why the messenger, Isaiah, gave specifically to Hezekiah, don't be afraid in your day of trouble. Look over at chapter 50 of Psalms and verse number 15. Here is the goal of God helping us in time of trouble. Verse 15 of chapter 50. Call upon me in the day of trouble. Pause. What is calling on God? You know, a lot of times it's like, uh, folks, our, our, our prayers are so, so much on the surface. You know, it's just like, Lord, help me today. You know, there's a difference between that and crying before God. We see the prophet, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet lamentations you know why lamentations is there he saw come to pass what he told the people would come to pass he warned and warned and warned and all of a sudden we see the destruction in babylon and all the horrific things that was happening to the people of god and he cried when was the last time we called on the lord sincerely and it is when that time of trouble comes is when we really get serious with God. And, but God says, listen, if you come to me and you call on me on the day of trouble, and that's what it says, I will deliver thee. Now, here's the key. Thou shalt glorify me. Okay, you go to the hospital and you, you talk to the person who hasn't been in church for five years, just a scenario, 
and, you know, and they got a car wreck or whatever bad thing had happened to them, and all of a sudden they look at me and say, Preacher, I told the Lord, if he delivers me from this bed, if I get up, I am going to do the right thing. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to be back in church every time. The, the doors squeak in church. I'm going to be there. And, and about two weeks after they're out, they come to church, and they're there for about two weeks. And all of a sudden, the troubles are gone. All of a sudden, they okay, I'm good now. Thanks, God, for helping me through that mess. I'll talk to you later the next time I need you, okay? No, no, no. That's not how we glorify God in our trouble. It should be something that is life-changing. And by the way, as a couple makes a vow before God, we're supposed to keep it. When we vow things to the Lord, you better keep it. If you say, Lord, I'm going to be there. I'm going to do the right thing. I know you've been working in me to do the right thing. And you say, God, I know what I need to do, and I'm going to do it. Do it. Do it. And so we say, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. And, uh, and all of a sudden, uh, God reaches down and he blesses. And what we're supposed to do as a result of God's help in trouble, our goal is to glorify him then in our lives because of what he has done in that answer of prayer. Israel, how many times do we see? Lord, we're in trouble, help me. Okay, uh, the book of, of Judges, Right? So, God, help me because we're, we're in depression now. We're having all kinds of problems. So, Lord, help us out of this. God would raise up a judge, you know, and, and get him out. And so, next generation, uh, who's God? I forgot him. And then they'd go back into the idolatry, and they would go into captivity, and God would raise up another judge to come in. Oh, we need you, Lord. And then all of a sudden, God delivers. And it's like, who, God who? And they forget God again, and God says, that's not glorifying me. The consistency, the recognition. When people can come to you and say, wow, isn't it amazing that the troubles you were going through, what you, issues you were going through, and now all of a sudden uh, we see the joy in your life. I can't wait to get to that point uh, when we, we go back and, and go through and what God was doing in Israel just to prepare them for the day of trouble. And one of the keys that I can't wait to talk about is joy in Israel. And the joy that's supposed to be in our lives. And that joy of the Lord is our strength. And all of a sudden, God is bringing in this man's life in this time when he knows it is right here upon him. God gives him that source of strength. And then he is going to glorify him through his life. And that's what God wants us to do. You see, what we do here is just like Hezekiah did. And that is that we are to come into the very presence of the Lord. The trouble comes, we go to the sanctuary. When Hezekiah found this letter and knew what was going on, he goes to the sanctuary. He goes into the presence of God and turn to Psalm 100 with me. Many of you could quote this one also. Psalm 100. Psalm 100, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Here it is. Come before his presence. Here it's with singing. Hezekiah came to the presence of God, to the sanctuary of God in the time of trouble. Come into the presence of God. What are we to know? 
When we come to his presence, we are to know that he is the Lord. That he is God. That he is the one that has made us and not we ourselves. He is our creator, in other words. And all of a sudden we come and... When was the, folks, I'm encouraging my heart as I am you today. When was the last time when we really came before the Lord, whether it's our devotions or whatever time, we're stopping and thinking who we're talking to? You know, we just say, okay, God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the food or whatever we're praying for at that given time. Whoa, 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 time out. We're talking to Creator. We're the one that said, let there be light, and bang, there was because He is light. He brought forth life because he is life. And it came into existence by just speaking it. This goes against every law that happens here on this earth. Sources of life generate life. God brought life from nothing. He brought every material, all matter, into existence from absolutely nothing. The word ex nihilo is your Greek word where he brings or speaks it into existence, Hebrews 11.3. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God and that the things which are seen were not made by things which do appear. God is really awesome. He is big. And when he is doing something, what we have to remember is that he is our creator. He has made all things. So when we come to his presence, let's remember who we're talking to. He goes on and says, we are his people, sheep of his pasture. Verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, and be thankful unto him, and bless his name. Do you see the glorifying of God in the presence of God? For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. Going into the presence of God with reverence, with respect, and an attitude of awesome. God is awesome. And when we go into his, his presence, all of a sudden what's going to happen, when we see how big God is, and the wee little trouble that we're going through, this is like not a really big thing to God. This is not that hard for God. He can do anything, anything but fail. Right? God can do anything. This is his department. The third thing he did was he sought the mind of the Lord. What he does is he has his messengers go to Isaiah. Isaiah was that one who represented the Lord and the Word of God, because hence the book of Isaiah. And so the Word of God needed to be sought, or the mind of God. And let's, let's go back to the text of Isaiah again, chapter 37. I want you to see how he brings this up. Now, the message from Hezekiah to uh, Isaiah in verse 4 is this it may be that the Lord thy God will hear the words of Rapshakah whom the king of Assyria his master has sent to reproach the living God and will reproach the words which the Lord thy God has heard wherefore lift up thy prayer for the remnant that is left the reason he is going is to find out what is going to happen 
I don't know. It may be that God has heard what that letter contained. Of course he did. And he is going to then answer and come in and take the remnant, protect them, and keep us from being annihilated because ultimately, as we're going to see, is, is that Sankara uh, 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 is, is the one who was against the very king, uh, oh, excuse me, the God of Israel. So he says in verse number five, the servants of the king Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said unto them, thus shall you say to your master, listen, when you go to find out the word of God or the mind of God, expect it. Expect an answer. Does God not want to answer us? We talk to God by prayer. God talks to us by his word. Okay? So we have to listen to God. Uh, I went... I went fishing yesterday, a bunch of guys in the church. We went on Lake Michigan. I thought I'd never do it. So we went out for some salmon. We got a bunch of them. We got like 17 of them. I had a great time. My shoulders and elbows and everything are still hurting. Railing, 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 railing them in. And, uh, you know, I'm, so I'm getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I thought, well, I'm going to make sure I read my Bible and pray every day so I don't shrink, shrink, shrink. You know, so I got up and, and got the Bible out, and I'm going through my devotions, and, and sure enough, I'm thinking, oh, where am I at? So I opened up the book, and uh, now you guys know that this is not my comfort zone to go out on big bodies of water. You know, I thought, well, Lake Michigan, I can handle this one. You know, it's not like ocean where the, the sharks are. <laughs> That's not how I want to die. I don't want to go that way. So they convinced me to go, and so I opened up my Bible, and guess where I started to my Jonah. Tell me the Lord doesn't have a sense of humor. He's like, sure, here you go, Jonah. God speaks to us through his word. And it is interesting sometimes to see how where we're at in the word, all of a sudden God says, and guess what? This is where you're at in life. And let me show you what to do. Let me show you what not to do. There was a guy um, who visited the church, I was told. I don't know the individual. I'm just, this is what he said. He is not a Christian. And he came in and, of course, sat in the back of the church, maybe balcony, and keeping away so nobody, you know, you, you come in late and, you know, leave early, you know, type of thing. And it's like, I'm just going to go. And he went to the guy that invited him and says, I don't like your preacher. And he says, why don't you like him? He goes, you must talk to him. Because every time I come, I've come three times or something like that, and every time he talks about everything that I'm going through in my life right now. So you obviously, now this is an unsaved guy just coming into church and trying to reason this whole church thing out, this organization of religion in his mind. It's like, so, oh, I get it. So you invite me to church, tell the preacher that I'm coming so that you, he can prepare a message just for me that Sunday morning. He goes, I'm not ever coming back again. And he hasn't. And by the way, if you didn't get this, the memo, I, I don't prepare messages for individuals. Most of the preparation is, Lord, this is what you're doing in my life. It's got to be hitting somebody else out there. But God uses his word, which is the living word, to miraculously work inside of the individual to plant the seed of life inside of that soil to bring forth fruit. And his word is alive and powerful, folks, 
we underestimate the power of the word. You see, what he, Hezekiah was doing was seeking the mind of the Lord to find out what is it, God, that you have. Look over a couple chapters in Isaiah to chapter 55. Seek the mind of the Lord. Verse number 6 of Isaiah 55 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he, that is the Lord, will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now notice verse 8. Now this is talking about God. My thoughts, that is, the thoughts of our God are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts, that is, the mind of God, above the thoughts of man. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither. In other words, it does not evaporate and go back up from the earth, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth fruit, excuse me, bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So what happens is this. The, the water here comes down, whether it's by snow or by rain, it comes down, and God says it is not going to leave and go back up into the atmosphere until it is first taken and given nourishment and water to those plants. So a seed put in, you got to water it for it to germinate. That's springtime is all about. That snow comes down and covers the ground. And then springtime, it melts down and goes down in. And all of a sudden, we see those beautiful tulips and different things coming up out of the ground because it has to have moisture. God says, that's what my word is. Look at the next verse. So shall my word be. The word is compared to rain that comes down and brings forth fruit. It brings forth a plant and it brings forth the plant to bring uh, uh, seed and then we can make our bread from it and you can plant it the next year. That's the purpose. My word is going to be the same way that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. It is impossible. Every time we read the word of God, it is impossible for it not to affect our lives. It is impossible for the word, as you share it by way of track, or you quote a verse, or give something to an individual, that it, it is impossible for that not to affect that soil. You can't pull that moisture out of that soil. It's going to evaporate. It's got to go up. It's got to first hit that ground. And then it will do its purpose, and then through time it's going to evaporate. So will my word be. It will not return unto me void. In other words, when it hits, it's going to do something. I was uh, going by and, and looking at a used vehicle. I knew somebody had need of one. So I stopped in the neighborhood and saw a, a used vehicle, and I stopped in, and, and, and the individual was battling cancer. And I had a chance to talk with her and, uh, and share a few principles. And further got into the conversation, knew she probably was not a believer, and so as I began to go through it, I said, now listen, let me give you a couple verses, a couple thoughts. I didn't tell her I was a pastor or anything. And I just started to quote to her some scriptures. And all of a sudden, the one who was talking listened. 
didn't, didn't go on to a long 40-minute message. It was just throwing out some water of the word. And she looked at me, and she said, thank you so much for those words. We got it or. And that's what God wants us to realize. Any way you can get the word out, it's right and it works. Sometimes we're afraid, aren't we, to share a verse or to give a track. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed of that. God will use it. And he'll use it for his purpose. Because it will not return unto him void. Now notice what the rest of it says. But it, that is the word that goes out, shall accomplish that which who pleases? God pleases, not me. See, as we share the word, it's not about me sharing the word. It's about God. And then it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I have sent it. So God sends out the word. And so God's word is the mind of God. And, I, and Isaiah was giving to Hezekiah the mind of God. And it was to give peace and tranquility. Um, you'll also see back in the text of Isaiah, and I'm going to move quickly now, that he, he begins to talk about this day of, of trouble. And he, and he recognizes that it's not man that can deliver but rather it is God. In verse number 3, Then said Hezekiah, Thus saith, saith Hezekiah, excuse me, And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble, and of rebuke, and of blasphemy, and the children are come to the birth. Now notice this, There is no strength to bring forth. Um, I hate to scare these girls that are about to have children, okay? But, but here's the scenario. Um, things have changed, of course, uh, with, with childbirth. Um, but, but you'll find out, if you have a long delivery, at the end, girls, you're whooped. And, and the coaches are there to say, okay, you got that thing down, you get that. And then that second gear, and then whatever third gear is, my wife can tell you all those gears, whatever they are. And all of a sudden, you know, the girl is looking at the husband and saying, oh, your fault. Too bad you're not going through this. And all of a sudden, you, and the coach is there to say, come on, you can do it. You know, just push. And it is all that time period right before the baby is born. That girl is so weak. And Hezekiah has come to the poison and saying, listen, here's Israel. And we don't have the strength to deliver the baby. We have to have someone out there, a strength that can come from somebody else for this miracle to take place. And that's the only scenario he could think of. Isaiah, we can't do it. We're out of strength. You'll remember in 2 Corinthians in chapter 12, the infirmity that the Apostle Paul had. And he prayed and prayed and prayed for God to take it away. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, no. But there is something I'm going to give you instead. He says, my grace is sufficient. So you say, okay, what's this grace all about? He's going to explain it in a moment. So God says, I'm not going to take it away, but I'm going to give you something in its place, in its grace. Then he goes on and says the most profound thing. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So man's weakness, when we are there and we say, I can't, God says, good. Because I can. It is when we are weak, 
we experience the grace of God, which is the strength of God, to be able to get through the trouble that we are going through. Now follow me. If we are not weak, if we can think we can do it on our own, we do not experience the strength that comes from God's grace. It is then works. And by works, we will fail. But by God's grace, He gives us the strength to be able to endure and to be able to do that which, humanly speaking, we don't think that we can do. He also recognized in the text that the battle that was going on was ultimately against the Lord Himself. He says in the middle of verse 4, it is a reproach to the living God, singular, the one who has created all things. And what we remember, folks, is when we have an enemy, we have to recognize, as Hezekiah did, that that enemy is not ultimately against us. It is a, he or she or the devil is ultimately against the Lord himself. And so the word of God is then brought to Hezekiah. And the word is this, don't be afraid because God is going to intervene for the remnant. The remnant is what this is all about. God has to take the few and he has to protect them because there is one out there that is trying to annihilate and to take them out. Remnant. How important is the word remnant in the scriptures? Vitally important. Now let me give you a little text here. Now hang in there. We're getting close to being done. The word, the names Noah, the names Lot ought to come into your mind when you think of the word remnant. In the days of Noah, the world had gone into utter chaos. It was every man doing whatever he wanted to do. There's no law. There's no, no way of going to them and saying, stop this. They wouldn't do it. They wouldn't even repent at Noah's preaching. But sure enough, God took Noah and his family onto this ark and lifted them up by the water, that's the Peter's text, that they are saved by the water. That's a picture of the baptism, as you know in that text. And then they are lifted up and saved, but the water, those who went under the water, they were actually destroyed. God takes the remnant and protects or saves them from the masses who would want to destroy. The same thing in Lot's life. Abraham prays that God would take the few that were there in Sodom and Gomorrah and pull them out, the remnant. Lot and his family were the remnant that were taken out from and separated from, and then the rest were destroyed. Do you see this pattern? We also showed you in the New Testament a couple weeks ago that in 1 Thessalonians, in chapter number 5 and verse number 3, in that time period, we talked about the peace. But let me read the rest of it for you. He says, For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child. Now notice this phrase, they shall not escape. Now we're setting you up for something. What pattern we see here is this. God takes these who were the perimeter, the they, the world, and allows them to go after Israel. And they begin to destroy and to take out all of these until it is down to a remnant that has no strength and there's nothing they can do. It has to be God intervening. 
to save them because the rest of the world wants to kill and destroy, literally genocide Israel. By the way, I said it last week, and if I sound like a broken record, I'm sorry, but we're for Israel around here. Okay? They are the remnant. Okay? Futuristically, now, look at, look at Revelation. This is where we're going to close today in chapter 12. And I'm going to be quick through this text, but you're going to see the big picture. And this picture is how, what I talked to you before, that Hezekiah and the remnant are a picture of what's going to be happening in the future. The two parallels are a woman in travail trying to bring forth a child, and there's a remnant that is left, and they're, going to, they're under attack, and they're going to die if somebody doesn't come in and protect. So the Word of God comes and shows us the truth and gives peace in the time of trouble. You'll remember it is a time of trouble. Jacob's trouble. Now, let's look at chapter 12. There appeared great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed the sun and the moon under her feet, upon her head a crown of twelve stars. I'm in Revelation 12, verse 2. She being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. You see the correlation between the two chapters? There appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. Guess who the red dragon is? You get three, three guesses and the first two don't count. Okay? This is Satan. This is the one who wants to destroy Israel. Seven heads, ten horns, uh, ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. His tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. That third part is the angels. And this is where we come with a third of the angels went along with Satan. So that's our text where we see that. And the purpose is the last part of verse number four. So let's continue reading. They cast him to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, and that woman is Israel, which ready to be delivered, to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth the man-child, who was to rule nations with a rod of iron. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Psalm 2, the prophecy concerning Christ and the kingdom in the future. And so Israel is the one that brought her forth. She is the one with the 12 stars. So Satan is trying to destroy. So sure enough, in verse number 10, God finally casts Satan out of heaven, who is the accuser of the brethren. And he comes down and begins to torment people that are on the earth, in particular, the woman, in verse 13. When the dragon saw that he was cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. Right after Israel, the length of time is in verse 14. Time, times, and a half. And that's the three and a half years of the tribulation that Israel is going to be attacked by Satan over and over again. And he's going to do everything to kill her. In verse 15, he says there's a flood that Satan is bringing to destroy the woman. The serpent casts out of his mouth water as a flood. Your word, key word is as. It's a typology. It's not literally a water flood, but symbolic. He is as though water is coming to wash them all away and to destroy all of Israel. He wants them totally destroyed. Satan mimics God. Okay? You can see how God did destroy with a flood. He's going to mimic that, if you will, that he would destroy the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away, the flood, and the earth helped the woman, God's creation. God is over all things, and sure enough, the water is swallowed up by the earth. Verse 17 now, the dragon was angry or wroth with the woman, hates her, and went to make more with, here it is, the remnant 
of her seed, which kept, excuse me, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So here again is this remnant, small amount of believers. Satan is coming in and trying to wipe her out. And God says, no, you're not, because I am going to be there in the time of trouble. Jacob's trouble, the seven years tribulation, God is going to be active, involved right with Israel to protect every one of them. There's your prophecy. The remnant, we see Israel as that remnant. We see God intervening because she is a woman without strength that cannot deliver. And so sure enough, God comes in and is the source of strength. Application to us, we have troubles. And God is there. He uses his word to take and to protect because his ways are above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts. We are to go into the very presence of God, call upon him that he will answer you. Go into the presence realizing that he is the one who wants to come to our aid and to strengthen us when we are in trouble and he will. There have been several times in my life that are highlighted that I, I, you know the words like we, we dismayed, troubled. And you stop and you look and you say, how can I get any help? It seems like I am helpless. And it doesn't seem like anybody can understand. And all of a sudden it's me this time. And I'm in it. And all of a sudden we begin to say, God, here we are. Because it's not just me. God is with me. And you walk into the office, and about, I don't know how many years ago, six, seven years ago, whatever it was, uh, as many of you know, I was having a lot of problems with my throat. And um, it, was, it was going, and went to a doctor, and the doctor says, well, stop talking. <laughs> oh, sure, no problem. The church will understand that one. Uh, he says, well, you're going to have to learn how to communicate. I'm like, there's something going on inside of my throat. And uh, so sure enough, he took the scope and he started looking down in. And you know how the mind starts to race. Because you're thinking, you're just waiting to hear the word, oh, sir, I see some things in there. And I don't know what they are. We better, you know, go ahead and take something, take a snip out of there, and let's see if it's cancer. I was just waiting for the C word to come up because I knew how it felt. I knew something was not, not right at all. And he said, Carl, I'm going to tell you right now, I looked down in your throat, and he said, what I see is it looks like somebody has been beating on your throat. And he said, it is nothing but black and blue broken vessels all through your neck, all of your vocal cords. And he said, you need to learn how to communicate. I'm like, okay. So we're going to take you to a speech therapist and teach you how to project and all these things. And I'm like, like that's going to happen. You know, I've been preaching for, you know, however many years at, at that point, and, and this is, you know, kind of who I am. And so a, a friend uh, came up and he goes, you know what, uh, i tell you exactly what to do. He said, you've got acid reflux, take some Zantac, take some other things and see what happens. It was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. You see, old people, they get all these problems, and you don't even understand what they are. And all of a sudden, I started doing that. And all of a sudden, my healing and my voice, and I was able to start singing again. 
and I was able to, to do the things that God called me to do. At that time, we were doing D2, two hours on Thursday nights and Sunday school, and you know the times I speak, and, and it, to have my voice. And, but, but all of a sudden, I'm thinking, okay, Lord, so if you take my voice, what am I going to do? Because everything changes. And I, the first thing I thought of was, I guess I'm going to learn sign language. And I'm not kidding you. I was thinking, I will learn sign, and I will start a new congregation. And we will start, as was done here, Brother Treadway, through a lot of years. Well, I guess we'll pick up the, that ministry again. But the Lord intervened and helped me. And he came to me. And I'm not saying that the, the throat problems are all gone, because they're not. But I know one thing, that God is there to help me. And if all of a sudden God took away what you were doing for Him, everything seemed to be swept out. Your career, done. Everything that you would normally do, done. What would you do? We run to God. We run into His presence. We begin to pray. And as we saw the psalmist said, that we may glorify Him. We glorify Him through our troubles. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the time. Thank you so much for the patience of the folks today. Lord, your word is real. And I pray that if there are any here that do not know Christ as their Savior, that today will be the day of salvation for them. Use your word that we have read to draw people to yourself. Lord Jesus, thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for your precious blood that was shed on the cross for our sin. Thank you for the powerful resurrection. The Lord, if there are any here not saved, draw them to yourself. And I do not know every Christian's heart. I do not know the trouble that they may be in. But may these verses, again, help them to be able to see that you are with them in that trouble. Bless and use your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.